There's a phrase I've heard a bit of over recent years, and I really like it. It goes like this. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay as we are. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? It's, it's not from the Bible, but it's just a phrase that somebody's said, and I really like them. These words, I reckon, capture the essence of what I'm trying to share with you today from the passage that we've just read. There's two themes that's going to come out from, from the passage today, and these are mercy and transformation. God loves us just as we are. That's mercy. Because we don't deserve to be loved. But he loves us too much to let us stay as we are. And that's transformation. And as we study God's word this morning, we've got to keep both of these elements, mercy and transformation, in mind. Because if we don't view this message through the lens of God's mercy, all we're left with is condemnation. And likewise, if we don't look through the lens of transformation, all we'll be left with is a huge disappointment. Oh no, this is the way that I'm always going to be. There's no hope for me. I'm always going to be constantly disappointing God. And so we've got to keep both these elements in mind. Mercy and transformation. Righto. One day, a professor of New Testament theology said to me, Michael, sin is not doing naughty things, you know. Sin is the attitude of your heart. It's your attitude towards God. Now, when he said that to me, that just turned everything in my mind about what sin is upside down. Because I always thought sin was doing naughty things. Sin was, um, was, was breaking God's law. Sin was transgression. But it's not. Sin is our attitudes towards God. Breaking God's law, transgression, wrongdoing is a symptom, not the disease. The disease is the sin. The disease is our attitude toward God. And then the wrongdoing is the outworking of that. And what we read today reveals to us that God doesn't just judge us on what we do. He judges sin. He judges what's inside our hearts. So, how do you go with the reading? When we had that reading, did, did anybody feel convicted as it was being read? Anybody feel convicted? Well, if the person beside you didn't just indicate that they felt convicted, I'll get you to just reach over and feel their pulse. It'll be somewhere there or somewhere there and just see if they're actually still alive because you cannot help but be convicted. Man, oh man, Jesus makes it tough. It's not just what we do, it's what we think, it's what we feel. And then Jesus, in his usual style, just launches straight in with a really biggie, murder. And you might think, well, murder, that's... yeah. Who here is murder going to affect? Well, why don't you preach on something relevant, Michael? There's not too many murderers here. Murder is actually pretty close to home for me at the moment because during this week I actually found out that someone that I've spent a fair bit of time with and spent a fair bit of time praying with him and um, trying to lead him to Jesus and encouraging him to follow Jesus, he was murdered a couple of weeks ago in Emerald and only found that out this week. That's terrible. 
for somebody's life to just be cut short like that by a murderer. But you know what? I'm a murderer. If you really knew the real Michael Brumpton, would you be sitting here today listening to me? If you knew that I was a murderer, if you knew that I was an adulterer, would you have come today? Would anything that I have to say today have any credibility for you at all? Well, I hope that the words I share with you today um, do mean something to you today. Because the same merciful God who has shown me mercy is the same merciful God who can show you mercy. Somebody once said evangelism is simply one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Now, I reckon that's a pretty good definition. Here I am, I'm a sinner. I fall short of God in so many ways. I could, I could never live up, I can't live up to my expectation. I know I can't live up to your expectation. But God has shown me mercy. And you're the same. God will show you mercy too. Verse 21. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Murder is the symptom of the real sin. What's the real sin? Anger. And when you hold on to anger, it is a sin which leads to judgment. But then Jesus takes it even further. He says, if you insult your brother, you're liable. Now that's, that's a tough thing to say to, to an Aussie. Uh, we, we make sport out of insulting one another. Uh, and the better the insult that you can give the, yeah, the more fun we have. But you don't know how much that's tearing that person apart inside. And so insults earn judgment. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, this one I couldn't get for a long time. So I think, that's a bit harsh. Like, I used to wonder, how can calling someone a fool be equated with murder? I'm going to be having a fair bit of confession with you guys today, so <laughs> hear me out. Um, I used to be an instructor at the Dolby Ag College. Most of you will know that. And I taught students to operate heavy machinery. And one day we had a particularly useless student. Uh, I say that with all the truth that I can muster. It, it was absolutely useless. Um, we, we were on this earth-moving equipment trying to teach him how to use stuff and he just could not grasp anything. And we just had to continually say, right, I do this, do that, pull the lever. No, stop pulling the lever now. You know, let, let the clutch out. Oh, you're going to have to start it again now. And he just could not get it. We'd have to prompt him every single time. Some of you are smiling. You probably tried to teach somebody something and, and found them just as useless. But... At the end of the day, after a very long and very frustrating day, 
A few of the staff, including myself, were joking that he should have been drowned at birth. And we decided that he was so useless, that he was such a fool, that the best thing that we could do was to dig a great big hole with the equipment that we were trying to teach him to use and bury him. That was the best thing we could do for the world. And we had a great old laugh and a great old joke about it. And it seemed really funny until God convicted me. And it was then that I realised why to call someone a fool and to tear somebody down like that was equated with murder. We joked about it. I became a murderer that day. And it's only because of the mercy of God that I can stand guiltless here today. But if we don't repent of anger, if we cannot let anger go, we're in trouble. Now we all, we all have times when we're angry. We all have times when we uh, uh, think of somebody foolish and tear people down. But if God punishes anger, we cannot fully worship God with grudges left unsettled. The story is told of, of a missionary who was taking a church service on a Pacific island. And when it came time for communion, one man, one particular man came forwards for communion, but before he received the elements, um, he quickly got up and rushed out of the room. But then the missionary noticed that before communion was finished, he came back in, went up to the front and took communion. And so after the service, he asked this fellow, why why did you do that? Why did you rush out and then come back in again? He said, well, I'm not from this part of the island. And when I knelt down, I looked at the man that I was kneeling beside and I realised that he was the man who had eaten my father. This was a long time ago. And he said, and I was so angry. And so I I got up and I left. But while I was still in the foyer, I saw a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I realised that the nails that held him to that cross were the nails that were supposed to bring reconciliation and do bring reconciliation. And so I dealt with the anger that I'd been holding on to for years. And I went forward and took communion. Neither you nor I can properly worship God with grudges left unsettled. So I've got some more confession. I told you you're going to get a bit of confession. I read this in preparation a couple of weeks ago and God really cut me deep. I realised that there was somebody who I was holding a grudge against. I didn't hate him, I loved him. I still considered him a great friend, Um, but I blamed him for something and it was cutting me up inside. And I, I just knew that I had to deal with that. God's word was doing its job. And, you know, God was actually working on his heart as well. God is good. And um, he was at the same time feeling, I need to catch up with Michael. And we caught up with one another and we dealt with it. Now, that's my confession. How about you? I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one here who's been bearing a grudge. God's word cut me and he led me to repentance. 
My prayer is that he'll do the same for each and every one of you. When it comes to God, there is no room for self-righteousness. Because God can see right through into our hearts and he knows exactly what we're like. By God's standard, when he sees my heart and when he sees your heart, there's only one verdict that he can really come up with and that's guilty. And so we're left with the question, well, what chance do any of us have? And quite frankly, if it's only up to us, none. And if you take the stand of most Australians and say, I'm a pretty good guy, I've never done anything wrong, well, God will judge you without mercy. And without the mercy of God, I would be condemned to hell. And this word hell... um, in the Greek is Gehenna, it means the rubbish dump. Right? Without the mercy of God, no matter how good you think you are, you're good for God's rubbish dump. And so verse 25 says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You know, it's not politically correct to talk about Judgment Day, hey? It's not politically correct to talk about hell. But we lose the power of the good news of Jesus Christ unless we do. We need to know the bad news before we can understand why good news is good news. The bad news is, if you've been angry or if you've been insulting or or if you have belittled, then you will be judged guilty of murder. That's the bad news. The good news is the mercy of God. Jesus Christ died for murderers, just like me. Without mercy, there's only condemnation, but with mercy, there's forgiveness, there's life, there's life eternal. I was a murderer but I'm not one any longer because the blood of Jesus who himself was murdered is more powerful than the blood that I have shed. There's a a verse in the Bible where it talks about Jesus' blood being speaking a better word than the blood of Abel. Right? Abel was the first victim of murder in the very first family. But it says that Jesus' blood speaks a better word. That means it's more powerful. It overcomes the blood that is shed by murder. And so I've been forgiven. And when you bring this to the Lord to confess to him, you too are forgiven. No sin is too bad, no crime is too heinous, no act too vile for us not to receive the forgiveness of God. God's grace overcomes all sin. And so that's mercy. In God's mercy, he forgives us even though we're guilty. Well, I'm not content with just forgiveness. I, I, I don't want to stay with a heart of anger. I don't want to stay with a heart that harbours hatred and insults. Would anybody here be content for their hearts to stay the same like that? No. 
And so I thank God for his transformation. Part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of this kingdom living, is the transformation that the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. The Lord loves you too much for you to stay as you are. The Lord loves me too much for me to stay as I am. And the Holy Spirit is sure to convict us of things like anger, hatred, insults. Now, the trick is for us then to, to work with God on that. You know, there's times when God's Holy Spirit convicts us and, and shows us what's wrong, shows us what needs to change in our lives. And, you know, it can be quite easy to go, no. Whereas we've really got to work with him. God doesn't only want to save you, he wants to transform you. He wants to take out of you anger, hatred, insults. He wants to make you better than that. Okay, well, the murder one, I found that pretty confronting. And so I then moved on, thought, well, we can't have too much worse than murder. But of course, he sticks with the biggies. Uh, Adultery. More confession. I used to confess, Lord, I'm an adulterer at heart. But that's a cop-out. That's not what the Bible says. You know, we sort of like to try and downgrade it a bit and say, well, in my heart, by your standards, God, yes, I've committed adultery, so I'm an adulterer at heart. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you've harboured it in your heart, then you are an adulterer. A young man came to the priest for confession and he said, he sort of named all the standard ones, well, Father, I've sinned, I've, I've kicked the cat. I uh, stole a biro from work, Uh, I shouted at my next-door neighbour, and I think that's pretty much it. Anyway, this old priest, knowing the heart of a young man, said, Have you been entertaining any impure thoughts lately? He said, Oh, no, Father. They sure have been entertaining me. (laughs) It's not only what you do. It's what's in your heart that God judges. Now, I don't think Jesus was talking about when you look at a pretty girl and go, wow, she's stunning. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about dwelling on lust in your heart. Um, Now, or for the ladies, well, I don't know, do you even look at men? I I don't even want to know. Um, it's, how about I just talk to the men and you can sort of just apply it to your own situation. I don't understand the mind of a woman. Um, okay. So for men, it's not just to see a stunning woman. It's when you try to look down a blouse or start undressing her with your mind or if you replay the sex scene on the DVD or if you look for pornography on the internet. That's the sort of lust that he's talking about, which, which is the adultery that we commit in our hearts. And without the mercy of God, without confession and repentance, 
All I've earned for myself is condemnation. But with the grace and mercy of God, when you confess to him, Lord, I'm an adulterer, you see my heart, Lord, you know what's in my heart, you know the sorts of things that my mind dwells on, you know the filth that's in there, Lord, I need you, I know that I need you, Lord, I repent of this, I'm going to try and put things into place so that we don't do this anymore. Forgive me, Lord. I need Jesus. God, in his infinite mercy and grace, forgives you of all unrighteousness. Every bit of unrighteousness that you've ever done. And that's the mercy of God. But God doesn't want to let you continue with an adulterous heart. And I know you don't want to have an adulterous heart either. And so we've got to let God transform our character. There is no compartment of your life that you should ever set as off-limits to God. God needs to have access to every compartment of your life to transform you in every way. And sometimes we need to make radical changes to our lives. And I stress that word, radical. Radical changes to your life to work with God in the transformation that he's wanting to do in your life and in my life. So here's this radical statement, and I was talking about it with the kids. If your right eye causes you to sin, now as I read this, I want you to actually think, did Jesus mean it, okay? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I I actually forgot to bring with me, I was going to get a watermelon baller. I thought that would be a good thing for for an eye gouger. Um, It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, did Jesus mean that? Is it true? If the cause of your sin is your eye, would it be better for you to gouge out your eye than for you to go to hell with your eye? Well, yeah, that is actually true. That's pretty radical, but it's true. If your right hand is the cause of your sin, would it be better to chop off that hand and to lose it than for your whole body to be thrown into hell? Is that statement true? Yes, it is. It is true. And so, we've got our anti-sin devices right here. It's true, but is that what Jesus meant? These couple of verses, sentences, are a literary device called hyperbole. Has anyone ever heard of that word, a hyperbole? Yep. A hyperbole is where Jesus makes a way out extreme statement, which is actually true. And his intent is for us to take the truth of this extreme statement and to apply it to the very difficult but not so extreme. So, for example, does pornography on the internet cause you to sin? Well, ring Big Pond and get the internet cut off. But, but I'm in contract, I'll lose my money. Pay the bucks. If that is the cause of your sin, cut it off. Throw it away. 
but Michael, I, I need email. Do you need email? If this is preventing the transformation that God is wanting to work in your life, you don't need email. You need to cut it off. Women, you might be getting off on your favourite Mills and Boone books and your husband may just never seem to live up to the, the, the image that's portrayed of the romantic fellow there that you start to fantasise over. Well, throw those Mills and Boone books away if that is the cause of your sin. Stop reading them. Chuck them. But Michael, that's what I do for relaxation. Well, find another author. Find another genre of novel. If that is the cause of your sin. Does television take up all your time so you don't have time to read your Bible or pray or to spend time with other people caring for them? If that is a cause of sin for you, cut it off. Throw it away. Perfect opportunity right now where analogue's about to die. Everyone's looking for a digital TV. If you've already got one, you can easy pass it on. Now, I'm not saying you have to give up your TV, but if your television is causing you to sin, get rid of it. There might be relationships that you're in that are not good for you to keep. You might find that when you're keeping company and hanging out with a certain person, you start to develop a foul mouth. Or you might find that when you hang out with a particular group of people, you drink too much. Well, if you can't handle a certain relationship, cut off that relationship. If that relationship is drawing you into sin, cut it off. Now, I'm not saying you have to cut yourself off from all sinners. That's not what Jesus says. But if there is a relationship that is making you bad, if there's a relationship that's keeping you from being transformed in the way that God is wanting to transform you, cut that relationship off. Greed and materialism might be your sin. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to get saved? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments and so on. He said, well, I've done all those. But Jesus knew what was in his heart. And he said, good, now all you've got to do is go and get rid of all of your wealth and then come and follow me. And he went away really sad because he loved that wealth. Now, not all of us have to get rid of our stuff, but if you find that materialism is your sin, get rid of it. Sell that stuff. Give it away. You're better off without it. Now, all these things are just examples Murder on the outside, anger on the inside. Adultery on the outside, lust on the inside. They're examples, but it's true for all sin. It's not just what you do. It's what's in your heart. And what it essentially reveals is what Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for me to say, I'm not a bad fella, I don't need God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs to be saved. And salvation comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Mercy.
And God loves us too much for us to stay as we are. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mercy and transformation. When you, when you read that Bible passage that we had, it's meant to convict you. It's meant to make you feel guilty. It's meant to do that to lead you to Christ. Once you are in Christ, once Christ has forgiven you for what you've done, once you've repented of these sins, you're forgiven. And you need to know the joy of living in Christ as a forgiven person. But it's also meant to be there to urge us to work with God in our transformation.